1: Hello, you are listening to Radical Stepmoms. This is Christina. Today, I'm chatting with Anne. She is a PhD. She has written several, several articles on Psychology Today about divorce and blended family life. She has a book called The Parent's Guide to Bird Nesting, which we will talk about later on, but I just wanted to welcome Anne. Hi.
2: Hi, I'm happy to be here. Hi, and you are also a stepmom. I am. I'm a stepmom. I have three stepkids. They're all grown up now, but we got got together, started living together, and then got married when the youngest three were about five. I had three kids, and my husband had three kids, so we had six kids in the house. Yeah. That's a lot. (laughs) It's a (laughs) lot, and it was a lot of fun. When I look back, people say, how did you do it? But when I look back, I just think of all the fun that we had. Not that it wasn't hard sometimes, but I have mostly great memories.
1: Awesome. Yeah. We love to hear that.
2: (laughs) One that are in the thick of it right now. Yeah. I had a great stepmom too. So I I had a role model.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear more about that too. So can you tell me a little bit more about Your kind of work life and 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 how you got into writing about divorce and separation and, you know, you put a lot of out articles out there about child centered divorce. So
2: can you talk about how
1: you got into into writing about that?
2: Of course. So I'm a psychologist, as you said. I've been doing this work for many decades. I'm actually in the process of unwinding my practice and retiring. so so I'm not taking new clients right now, but I am still writing for psychology today. I I think I have 105 articles there now. I got into it when I started out as a baby therapist. I was working mostly with kids Mm -hmm. and I loved working with kids, but the more I worked with them, the more I saw that often kids were brought into therapy because the family had something going on, some dysfunctional dynamic or some pathology or whatever in the family. So I gradually started working more and more with families. And then I started realizing that the majority of my kids in my practice were dealing with divorce in their family. So then I started working with parents and trying to help parents get divorced without going to court, really trying to avoid court as much as possible. So I started working with a group of people in a model called collaborative divorce, where people agree upfront not to go to court. And so for the last many years, I wouldn't take clients that were litigating because it really made me sick to my stomach to see how much it could damage children.
1: Yeah. 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 And how ongoing it can be. I think a lot of my listeners here are dealing with exactly that. And so in working with both kids and, you know, parents and couples that are separating, what do you feel kind of contributes to their ability to separate without taking the legal route?
2: I I think what parents have to do is be able to put their kids ahead of their own emotions I mean, I've been divorced. Divorce is the worst. It's a life crisis. It's a terrible thing to go through. It's incredibly stressful. And so it's a big challenge to put your kids ahead of all those feelings. But that's what parents can do with a lot of help and support, rather than pulling the kids into the divorce dynamic and, you know, kind of in- pushing them unconsciously, pushing them to take sides or to you know, take on difficult roles, being a messenger, you know, being an ally, being a confidant, these are all really terrible roles for kids. If parents can put their kids' welfare ahead of their own emotions, and assuming there's no, like, physical violence or sexual abuse or, you know, other Mm -hmm. kinds of abuse or addiction, parents can do that. It's it's doable. It's not Mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and I think with the help of
1: therapy on, on all ends, right. That, that hopefully get that guidance and, and put their kids first. I know a lot of the stepmoms that I talked to were dealing with, I, maybe it's our partners as well, but you know, the other house having a difficult time making that choice and constantly, Mm -hmm. you know, continuing the conflict, even years, years past separation, past divorce.
2: Yeah yeah and it's a terrible burden for the kids to carry even now you know adult kids that have carried that burden don't know what to do on the holidays like which parent do they go to who do, which parent needs their support which parent seems more vulnerable or you know which parent is is the one who's supporting them more it's it's a loyalty battle for kids and it's an unfair thing for them to experience
1: yeah so for the the stepmoms and, you know, those listening that have, you know, stepkids who are feeling the thick of those loyalty binds, what, what work do you do with the kids to help them through that? Or what can a stepmom do to help them through that?
2: Well, I think there you know a number of things as a therapist i might talk to a child differently than if i'm their stepmother sure yeah. if i'm their stepmother i would i would say to them over and over again i'm not your mom i'm not taking the place of your mom you know i am a different kind of person in your life i can be a, a really good friend to you or i could be like an, a favorite aunt or a favorite teacher or something like that but i'm never going to take your mom's place so that helps with the loyalty conflict between mom and stepmom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when my stepmom and my dad actually divorced, my stepmom and my dad managed to do it in a way that their kids, they had kids together. And then my sister and I from the, my dad's first marriage mm-hmm. also, you know, we nobody had to choose sides. So my stepmom remained like one of my closest friends. Unfortunately, she, she died in an accident, but she and I remained best friends for years after they got divorced. And and I'm very close to my half siblings as a result because nobody nobody forced us to make a decision okay. but to decide yeah. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a therapist, I would say to kids, what's it like? You know, talk about what that's like to deal with the kind of loyalty bind and I would ask kids to think about how they could resolve it. And do they think they can love both their mom and their stepmom or their mom and their dad? Can they love both? Because our hearts are very big and we have space to love a lot of people in there. Yeah. That, so, I, depending on the age of the child, that's. How, and I might bring parents in to, if, if I thought the parents could do this, you know, I would ask the parents to give their kids permission to love all various parental figures.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had conversations with my own stepson about, about those loyalty binds. And I think the concept for him, of you have your mom when you're with your mom and then in this home, because I have my daughter, his half sibling and, you know, I'm, I'm mom in our house. So it's, you know, you can have both and it doesn't mean that you love me, you know, more or that you love your mom any less or And I think, I mean, I had that conversation with him when he was about seven or eight. And, you know, I still think that he feels a little conflicted, especially if we're all in the same room or like, who do I go to? Who do I talk to? But yeah, that's, that's a hard struggle for our kids. And as you said, it carries into adulthood. I'm also a child of divorce.
0: Okay. (laughs) So so my husband, so yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. So does, do do you get along with your stepson's mom? No, (laughs) that makes it harder for your, for your stepson.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know what? I'll say this. He knows that we're not friends. He knows that we don't really like each other, but he never sees the conflict regardless of our differences and our, our things. We do a really good job of protecting him from that. Most of the, of the disagreements and, and stuff like that is all through email or text whenever we're in front. Of him, we put on a smiling face. So yeah
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think the only other thing that you can do, and it's obviously not all in your control, because his mom must play a role here. Yes. But what you can do is think of the positive things that you can say about her, and mm-hmm. just reiterate them. Oh, you get your your soccer talent from your mom. I'm making stuff up, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. You know. Oh, you, you know, I can see your. You're really good at this, and you must get that from your mom. And in it, it, whatever kind of positive comments you can make about her, will make it feel less to him like he needs to choose between. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yes, and I I do do that. I also make sure that he knows that her and I talk. Where okay. I'll say, oh yeah, I sent her that picture of you, you oh. know, whatever, and and stuff like that. And and he's always kind of like, oh, you and you and her talk, and I'm like, yep. And, and it's never like, you know, giving him the full picture. <laughs> she didn't like that or, you know, anything like that. But it's, yeah, yeah, I definitely try. I definitely try.
2: Yeah. That's great. No, that, all, all of those little things really help. I mean, if you send her a picture of him, you know, that is a really cute picture that you've taken and you tell him, oh, you know, I sent this picture to your mom. I know she's going to love it. You know, it's stuff like that that takes a little bit of the burden off him, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's it's nothing that's gonna happen overnight. These things take a long time. And sometimes kids don't really figure all that out until they're, you know, well into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. In, in their thirties. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? I was 27. <laughs> yeah. So you have the book, The Parent's Guide to Bird Nesting, a child center solution to co-parenting during separation and divorce. Now I told you before we hit record that the idea, the concept of bird nesting is just so wild to me, but evidently people do it and for them it works. So can you tell us a little bit about what bird nesting is and
2: why people decide to do it? What makes it work? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So bird nesting is an arrangement that parents make where the kids stay in one home and the parents rotate on and off duty moving in and out of the house. It's what we expect kids to do normally, kids going back and forth between two homes. And so in, in bird nesting, the parents take that on. I got interested in it more than 30 years ago when my ex and I divorced because our therapist suggested it, but we, she didn't really know what it meant or how to do it or anything. She had just heard about it. So he and i sort of had to invent it ourselves with no guidance and that's why i wrote the book because mm. we made we made a lot of mistakes we did nest for 15 months i think it helped our kids with the transition wow. and actually he and i you know it was not an easy divorce there was quite a bit of conflict but even so we were both able to prioritize our kids being in a stable home being in a, a secure situation, giving us time to work through the divorce without them also having to adjust to a lot of changes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, not much changes for the kids, other than one parent is on duty at a time. And the kids' routines go on as usual. And, you know, they still sleep in their same bed every night. And they always know that one parent is on duty. Hopefully, they have an idea of what that schedule is. -hmm. That's where you get into a parenting plan. Mm -hmm. So I wrote the book because I had a lot of clients over the years who've that I've talked with about bird nesting and and coached people to to do it successfully. And I realized that I learned quite a bit about it from my own experience and also from my clients. So I wrote the book. I think it's possible for most people to nest, even if parents nest for a month. It buys time i like to say it's kind of a softer landing for the kids in the divorce it it gives the kids some time to adjust to these huge family changes
1: yeah so logistically when the parent isn't at the nest where are they do they i mean i'm just thinking financially
2: how are you paying for multiple places to live well that's a great question and it's an important one because obviously it's a big financial question. When my ex and I did it, I rented a room in a shared rental with, I had like five roommates. He had a girlfriend at the time, so he stayed with her. I've worked during the pandemic, a lot of people were thinking about separating on the verge of it. And then the pandemic hit and they were all in lockdown. So people nested within the same home. If -hmm. there was room in the house to rearrange bedrooms or to use you know, some unused space, like one of my clients used their attic and kind of built it out a little bit. So that could be the off-duty site. People use their garage, people, you know, partitioned parts of their house. You, people stay with friends or family, people rent apartments, and even parents could share a rental apartment if they have a decent enough relationship. Obviously having them rent two apartments and keep the family home is costly. Mm -hmm. Not everybody can do that. But if they can think out of the box, they'll find a way. I had one client who actually slept at his church. His pastor had a fold-out sofa in the office. Oh, wow. He would stay there. You know, People could stay at their workplace. This was before the pandemic when people actually went to their workplaces more often. But I've had people come up with all kinds of ways to make it work. And like I said, I've worked with people... Who have nested for a short time, like a month. I've worked with people who've nested for more than twelve years. Wow! Um, so, really, it's in in the book. I have an extensive interview with a family that nested for I think it was six and a half years, and I interviewed everybody in the family. And the children are all adults now. You know what was it like for them? Mm-hmm. So, if parents want to make it work, they will. That's kind of what it comes down to. It's it's not necessarily easy, but it's about putting your kids first.
0: Yeah.
1: So what did that look like when one of the parents finds another relationship and they want to establish their own home?
2: So I think it's really important to have a written agreement up front about all kinds of things related to how the nesting is going to work. And one of those questions is, what if somebody wants to end the nesting? You know, give the other parent enough notice. Hopefully by then there's an idea of what's going to happen to the family home. Sometimes people nest until the family home is sold because that very often has to happen. Sometimes they'll nest until it's clear if one parent is going to keep the home. In my case, my husband wanted to move his girlfriend into the home and he was going to keep the home. Mm. Uh, And that's why we ended it after 15 months. It it could just be that it's too hard, and at some point, one parent says, "You know, I just can't do this anymore. I hate the packing up and moving in and out." But then they'll have more empathy for their kids when their kids start having to do that. That's why even a short-term nesting is, I think, helpful. That they just need to give enough notice. I think ninety days is fair. I think if. If you have to go look for a rental and you have to find be able to find a place that takes pets and kids and all of that, it's it's fair to give your soon-to-be ex some mm-hmm. a reasonable amount of time to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in your book, I mean, even if you're listening and you're like, what? Like obviously, this, you know, if you're a stepmom, you're you're not you know, thinking about nesting. But in your book, you do have a lot of awesome guidance on things you know chapter three developing a co-parenting plan which you cover so many different things that you know might get missed <laughs> when you're coming up with a parenting plan or, or things to to chat about and you even cover in here like when to introduce a new partner and also finances and and all that sort of thing so even if you know the bird nesting isn't is more of just a what? <laughs> I think the book is super, super helpful, and and being able to find new ways to to co-parent or better ways to co-parent. One of your articles uh, on the Psychology Today was talking about the developing co-parenting and adding a new relationship. So I feel like you know a lot. I mean, we're a lot of my list, We're past that as a, we're in it, but many of us have our story of how it went down. And either we were in line with the the guidance or we were very far from it. I told my my then boyfriend, my now husband, you know, when we first started dating, I don't want to meet your son for a while because I don't want to get attached and I don't want him to get attached. And that's one of the, the guidance that you suggest is considering, you know, a new partner coming in and out of your child's life, right? Well, he didn't listen to me very well. <laughs> he ended up just showing up at my apartment. I think we were dating like four weeks, and just had him with him. And he was three at the time, so I think my husband was very much minimizing the impact of what that would be for him. But you know, what what is the is there like a rule of thumb when it comes to introducing kids to a partner? And I mean, I feel like. Yeah, I'll
2: I'll ask that first and then I have a follow-up question. <laughs> okay, great. If this is happening, you know, v- during the divorce or, you know, immediately after the divorce, the kids are still adjusting. So, it's too soon to bring somebody new in, I think. This is a professional opinion. I think it's too soon to introduce a child to somebody they might get attached to when when they're in a grief process in their own life. They may not look like they're grieving, but kids do grieve during divorce. And they need, you know, a kid who's doing pretty well before the divorce needs a year to adjust, maybe two even. So introducing a new person in that time risks the child getting attached. And then if the relationship doesn't work out, it's yet another loss. And I, I know someone who did that over and over and over again with, you know, one girlfriend after another and the kids, sometimes the girlfriends would just disappear and the kids were attached. You know, sometimes they're, you know, they more or less saw it happen, but it makes it makes kids very fearful about getting attached. So they're going to hold back over time and not allow themselves to get attached to someone because of the fear of another loss. I think that's where my stepson
1: is now with his mom. Yeah. He has seen many relationships come and go. And it wasn't until recent, cause he's 12 now. It wasn't until recently where he has become very indifferent about any new person. He just kind of rolls his eyes and is like, yeah, we'll see how long, you know, I don't know. Like,
2: Yeah. But the sad part about that is when he starts having relationships it's gonna be harder for him to form a secure attachment mm-hmm. right, to a yeah. new person, which you know, we want for our kids. We want them to feel confident and secure in their relationships. But that experience could make it hard for him in his future relationships. But the other part of your question, if if the divorce happened five years ago and now you you're in a new relationship, it's and the kids have had a chance to recover, then I think waiting until it's a very firm, committed relationship is important for the same reason, not to risk another loss for the children. But, you know, six months, most relationships break up within six months, right? Most dating relationships. I generally start by saying, you know, nine months to a year, because then you're pretty sure that this relationship is going to last. And not that we can guarantee that any relationship lasts forever, but the odds are better after a year that it will last. Oh, man. So that's a good time.
1: Yeah. And I hear, you know, the, the reasoning of, well, I want to see how they are with my kids or I want to see, you know, I want them to meet them to. And so maybe it will be rushed because if this doesn't work with the kids, then maybe it wouldn't work with her or him. Do you think, feel like that's a reasonable, excuse to, no, she's shaking her head.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think think that when you're dating somebody for a, a long enough time, six months to a year, that you start, if the attachment to this new partner is real and strong and solid, then you'll be talking about the kids and you'll be talking about how to create a positive relationship with them. And you'll have some foundation for that going into it and also an incentive because if you want your relationship to last you want that new connection with the children to go to go successfully when when my dad first started dating after my mom and he split up he dated somebody my sister and I hated and we were like you know 8 8 and 9 and my sister took it upon herself to get a jar of honey and and pour it all over the toilet seat so yeah So my dad said, okay, I guess my kids don't like Margaret Rose. So I think that that relationship isn't going to work. Well, the problem was it was just too soon for us to meet Mm -hmm. a relationship, right? We might've liked her fine if he'd waited longer. So kids will often let you know. Oh yeah. I told my mom,
1: (laughs) I told my mom. And it's interesting as you're saying, you know, you, you start to look back at your childhood and, and question your parents' decisions, right? Like my mom and dad were separated, but we were all still living together. And it wasn't a nesting situation. We were all just still living together. And then next thing I knew, my mom's like, "All right, I've met someone, we're moving to a different state. And my dad had to stay because he was military. And so then my mom and I moved to a different state and I met this guy and he was completely different than my father. And I was still very confused because here we are just living with my dad and now, Oh, this is, you know, and I remember telling my mom, like, he's not your type. Like, no, this isn't, this isn't okay. (laughs) And they were married 13 years and he was a great stepdad. But then it's like, really mom, (laughs) that's (laughs) that's the decision you made. And now I understand why my dad was so mad. Like,
2: (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah it was just too soon for you. Too soon.
1: And, yeah. So when you were separating and then when you remarried, did you, do you have this advice because you followed it yourself or was it you live and learn and you
2: learn from mistakes? Well, I think because I'm a psychologist, I actually did some research. I mean, I didn't want to make a mistake. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. So at that time, there was a book that I found about blending families and I read it cover to cover and I made my current husband read it cover to cover and to commit to that. So there were a lot of things in there. Do you um, remember the book? It was something like Blending Families. I actually don't remember. It was in the early 1990s. Okay. Ago. <laughs> but there are probably a lot of new books on, out there about Blending Families that hopefully have good guidance as well. Yeah. But it was, I think it was critical for me to read that because I didn't I'd never done them before,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and they don't teach it in graduate school. Right. So, you know, <laughs> like they don't teach you to be a parent. They don't teach you to be a, a step-parent either. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we it, it, when we enter into new marriages, we want them to be successful. And we have, you know, ideals about the relationship we're going to have with these children. But there's this whole, complex psychology that kids have and how they form attachments and how, especially how they form attachments with their biological parents, that you just can never, you can never be that person. You can never, no matter how much you eventually grow to love each other, you you can never have that kind of attachment with a stepchild. Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: I'm very close to my stepkids now, but it's a different relationship because they know that they have a great mom and they have a great dad and i'm their stepmom yeah
1: i love i love that you're putting this out because i feel that you know oftentimes the the heaviness the the expectation that is placed on stepmoms is you need to love them like your own and you need to you know be in that role and but at the same time we're being told no you're not their mom And our stepkids are never expected to love us like we're their parents. So we also shouldn't have that expectation. But I find the tension really lies a lot of times in the relationship between the step parent and their spouse and that their spouse wants them to have a great relationship with their kids. And sometimes it's difficult for our partners to understand, like, I won't have that connection like you do. And it doesn't mean that I don't care for them or I don't want the best for them or I'm unhappy or you know I'm going to be this evil stepmom you know it's 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 just I can't get to that level and I knew that going into it but I really it's like really solidified for me when I had my daughter and I felt guilty for it I was nervous about how my relationship with my stepson was going to change and I am still very aware of you know not wanting him to feel the differences that I feel and for him to feel loved and have attention and, and all those things. But when it comes down to it, yeah, the connection is 100% different and that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. That's very normal. From right. I guess,
2: right. I think it's normal. I think it's pretty unavoidable. I think part of it is really hardwired because our primary attachments are really formed in the first year or so of life and and those primary attachments to biological parents are are unique the way i like to think of the role is like a favorite aunt or uncle that you can still feel like family and still feel close and still feel love but it's not a parents love and you know we my ex and i've been together for more than or my husband and i've been together for more than 30 years and I love his kids, and he loves mine, and we we have grandkids now, and we we love all the grandkids. But you can still feel the difference between your biological grandkid and yeah. your yeah. and your, you know, your partner's grandkids. And, yes. and it's not a bad thing. I, it's just I think we have to accept that that's what it is, and make it okay for the kids, for Absolutely. them to feel differently, and for us to feel differently.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. How you brought up the grandkids because. My husband's stepmom, her and I are very close. She's been my guiding light in this role. And to her, you know, it's my husband that's her stepson. And Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we there's grandkids now with our kids. And then my husband's half brother has kids now. And I've talked to her about it. I'm like, do you feel a different way when, you know, you're with your son's kids versus, you know, Jake's kids? And she's like, Yeah like it's blood. It's, it's just, it's just different. And I, and I, I want to normalize that emotion and not demonize it and make okay. it like we are incapable of loving hard or we are incapable. It's just, it's just a matter of, I'm like, you're saying, it's just this innate natural thing and that it has to be okay. And I think, you know, this, I'm saying this louder for our partners to hear when they are kind of, Putting us, putting us as stepmoms, in a place of feeling bad for not being able to get to that level, and Mm -hmm. maybe not reachable.
2: I I think it's hardwired as probably part of our survival that your strongest bonds were with kin, with kinship, and you know, as when we were living in caves or whatever. I mean, I think this stuff is really hardwired into our brains Mm -hmm. that we're always going to have a a more unique tie with biologically, you know, biological yeah. relations. So that begs the question of kids who are adopted and can parents love them in the same way? And, and I actually think that they can. You know, a, a child who's adopted at birth does get that first year of, of connection. There are other ways that it might not go as perfectly be, because of genetic differences, but it should, they should be able to form the same kind of attachment that a biological child would form. And I think too
1: the difference there is that the biological parents aren't usually in the picture. And when you're a step parent, you're constantly teetering on this boundary line of I can't love I I love you, but I can't love you too much because you have a mom and there's that loyalty bind we talked about. But when you're an adoptive parent, you don't really have that and it's yours. It's yours for the taking. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. And the Sense of, I'm going to keep you alive. I'm going to make sure you're secure and safe, and that you survive. And that starts, you know, from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, if a child has that from a caregiver, whether they're blood relation or or not, they will form that attachment. Yeah.
1: So, as a stepmom of thirty years, mm-hmm. uh, what Were your hardest, if you can think back, you know, what were your hardest struggles or, you know, the
2: things that you had to work through? There were, you know, two probably primary ones. One was around discipline, you know, it's like, and I know every step parent has to deal with discipline. We're all nodding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. You know, when was it okay for me to step in and when did I have to just force myself to say, you know, um, to my husband you have to handle this when it was his kids right or if it was my kids that I would expect him to let me handle it and not step in right so th- I think we did fairly well with that but there were a few times where against my better judgment I stepped aside and said to him he, he had to handle the discipline issue with his kids even though I desperately wanted to get in there and you know Get involved and discipline the kid myself, <laughs> but I, you know, I tried not to. I think that there, there, I'm sure I made a few slip-ups with that when I was triggered by something that they did. And of course, if there's an issue of safety, then you have to step in. If you're a stepmom, you know, it, you can't let issues of if the kids are beating up on each other or doing sure. something else that's unsafe. Yeah. You know, you have to step in and pull them apart. But in the same way that a favorite aunt or uncle would. Right, that's I always use that that as a kind of decision guide for step parenting. Is this something that a teacher would do? Is this something that an aunt or uncle would
1: do? Yeah, and I know a lot of step moms listening. Or, I mean, I'm finding myself respond to the aunt or uncle thing just because, like, I know what I do for my stepson, and I know that I am more than that. But I do think that you're you have a good point in that when we are trying to figure out when we're stepping in and it's creating a hardship either for ourselves internally, or it's, it's creating tension for our, us and our relationship with our partners that sometimes we do have to go, okay, let them handle it. This is the role that I can play in right now and, and not let that devalue how you still show up. Because I know a lot of stepmoms are like, I am way more than an aunt. I'm way more then, you know, I do, especially if the mom isn't really as involved, especially if the mom, you know, doesn't have, you know, custody, maybe it's a full-time stepmom and she's doing the majority, you know, she's way more than an aunt, yeah, but sure. as you're saying, right? Like it's, it's this ability to, to, to reframe where we're at and go, this is something that my partner needs to handle because it ultimately will be better in the long run. I always say, you know, my listeners know this. Anytime I'm not, I'm not feeling in line with my stepson, I ask myself, am I doing more correcting than connecting? And that's where I get in the, I guess the ant mindset where I'm going, all right, I need to just be, you know, be less rigid and just let that stuff go so I can connect
2: with him more and have my husband handle it. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a great way to phrase it, too. I mean, I, I, I really like that. The, your relationship with your stepson is probably more important than the specific issue that you're focusing on with him. And, that's, and since you don't have the benefit of the early years of attachment, it's even more important, I think, to focus on being, having as, as many sort of positive interactions as possible. You know, creating good memories and having positive interactions, and and the really difficult discipline issues that are inevitable as much as possible. Let yeah. let your your husband deal with them because the attachment between him and his son is is secure. Exactly. It's not going to threaten that attachment. Yes.
1: Yeah, and you know, I some step, step parents don't have that rebound. That biological parents do, Mm -hmm. because of that, right? That's right. It's you know, I say something and it sounds different to my stepson than when my husband says it. And so there's times where I'm like, "Hey, babe, I need you to say this now because I'm and I know that I'm annoying him, and it's going to come differently from you." And I feel like that that realization, I have to kind of let go of my own ego where I'm trying to force my, you know, but I am the mom and I am, and I can do this, but at the same time, what outcome do I want? Do I want the towel to get hung up? Do I want his lunchbox to be made? Do I want him to get his reading done? And, you know, that's more important than my ego.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a power struggle that stepkids can sometimes have with a step parent that, they might not have with their biological parent and because they're, the attachment isn't as important to them maybe with the step-parent as it is with their biological parent. So they're willing to act out more with a step-parent on behalf maybe of the, their other mom. You know they, That's the other thing that came up in our family is some, a couple of my step-kids acted out on behalf of their mom who was really angry. So they would do things at our house to let us know, you know, how much they were going to reject me, mm-hmm. right? It, it didn't last long. And actually, in, in, when they grew up, they all apologized, which was kind of amazing. Not all, because it was only two out of three, but it was, yeah, they They reflected back and realized, boy, they made it tough at times. And it was, it was a temporary thing and it wasn't often, but, you know, when it happened, it was felt like I was doing a terrible job, you know? yeah. Yeah. but um, we do the best we can and, you know, and, and we repair when we have to. Mm-hmm. And I think repairing, you know, if you, if you feel like you overstep with your stepchild, you can go back and repair. And I think that's important too.
1: Absolutely. in any relationship, especially with our kids, yeah. I think, you know, we're teaching them how to do that and in the, in their adult lives as well. Yeah. You know, I think, When I'm telling my son or my daughter, you know, like I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, I got, I was really frustrated, but that, you know, and so, I mean, you blended on both sides. So when you're working with couples or you're working with families and kids and stuff, do you feel that there's any differences or the hard, unique hardships when you're
2: blending from both sides? I think the issues are probably quite similar. I mean, my kids just immediately adored my husband, and they still do. My husband is kind of like a kid magnet, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Kids always love him. He loves all the grandkids, and, you know, he'd rather play with kids than almost anything. Mm -hmm. So for my kids, it it wasn't as hard. Their struggle was with their dad, who was angry. So we had these two angry exes, you know? And that was what all the kids had to deal with was their angry exes. We also had to set up a way to share parenting time where there was at least some period of time when they didn't overlap. Mm -hmm. So having all six kids at the same time, all the time would not have been a good thing for any of them. So we set up a schedule where we had his kids for three days at a time, three and a half days, half a week, basically, And then we might have my kids for the other half of the week. And then we might have had both kids, uh, all six kids for a half a week. And then we would have a half a week with no kids. And that's kind of how we set it up. And so it meant that all the kids had some one-on-one kind of alone time with their biological parent Mm -hmm. where they didn't have to deal with step siblings. And then they, then when this, All six were together, they really enjoyed it. They real and they're and they're still quite close now.
1: Yeah. That's I feel one of the things that I we're getting into more and more with my stepson. He's 12. My my, his sister is five. And, you know, right now they're still at the age where they can like play together. And he kind of tolerates her and humors her a lot of the time. But he is getting to that preteen stage where he's like, I don't want to play. And then her heart gets broken. And well, cool. so this it's this thing of, you know, having to really keep in mind the kids and their experiences and what they would benefit from. So there are I mean, I my my daughter doesn't go anywhere when he's with us. We have him for a full week. And so there's times where we built we build in time where he gets a break from her and he either goes and hangs out with dad for a little bit or I take him on special dates we'll go to dinner and a movie and you know my daughter will get daddy time or or whatever but and I feel like that's something that nuclear families could should be doing as well just to allow you know kids to have to feel special and to have that one-on-one time but I feel like what you guys did with six kids that had to be way more planful and
2: thoughtful. It's, the parenting plan anticipates all those kinds of issues that can predictably come up. Mm-hmm. And that's the benefit of a parenting plan. Mm-hmm. And working out a parenting plan, you know, before or as soon as possible will help, you know, prevent a lot of the things that could go wrong because you have agreements that you've already sort of pre-agreed to. Mm-hmm. and you can't predict everything but you can predict a lot and then you also have to have something in a parenting plan about what do you do when something comes up that you haven't anticipated and you disagree and so how do you handle that and that has to be in the parenting plan also mm-hmm. yeah
1: So, and I mean again going back to the work that you do with trying to prevent couples from needing you know legal the, the legal route like oh. how, how many couples have you worked with that have couldn't do it and they ended up going the legal route?
2: It has happened often too often. I got a lot better at screening before I would uh. a client because I'll, I tell people right up front, I don't work with people who are litigating. So if you can't commit to not litigate, then I can't work with you.
1: What are you but- looking for when you're screening?
2: What am I looking for? I'm looking for people who are willing to listen to each other, that even though they don't want to be married anymore, they don't want a terrible outcome for their spouse. They want their spouse to be okay, that they're willing to co parent, they're willing to be coached. You know, if they think they already know everything and they don't want to be coached, then that's a red flag for me. I also look at history if there's any history of, you know, any kind of domestic violence or. You know, addiction or anything like that. If they're really if there's a ton of conflict and they've, you know, not they're not made an attempt to control that. So there's a lot that goes into screening. Yeah, yeah. But you know, th- it, there are people that, as we've gotten into the work, we've realized that they've hit an impasse mm-hmm. and they can't get past it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people need an outside decision-maker. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And that's when they might go to a judge. It's better to have an outside decision-maker than to have ongoing conflict, Mm -hmm. right? So whatever it takes to end the conflict, Mm -hmm. that's what we know is the worst thing for kids, right? Is the conflict in parents. So if that's what it takes to end the conflict, the, the problem is that it often doesn't, you know, court becomes a revolving door and there's a winner and a loser and the loser always wants, not always, but very often wants to go back and get a different outcome. And the way I like to work with people is that it, it's not a winner loser process. It's everybody wins because we try to understand what each parent needs and wants. And we try to find problem solve to find ways to meet each parent's needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way and the conflict but it doesn't and and that that's about co-parenting like how much privacy does a does a parent want how much contact do they want how much communication yeah so so. yeah
1: yeah and I I was happy to see I talk a lot about parallel parenting on my platform and stuff especially as a necessity in working or you know not being able to traditionally co-parent if there's high conflict and, and things like that but you mentioned parallel parenting in your book and that it is possible to parallel parent while bird nesting which i found to be fascinating again because you know you're sharing space with someone that you don't want to be with anymore and you're having to still re- show respect i just feel like anyone who does the bird nesting thing has to have such a level of maturity um, and respect still remaining for their previous partner, and you know, I think my listeners are not, are unfortunately, not in that in that space of of mutual respect. So, yeah, love that you were talking about parallel parenting too, because I I feel like that that is is not acknowledged enough as an option to co-parent as an op- another
2: option. Well, I when I nested with my ex, we were parallel parenting. Yeah. Yeah. So, because right. he didn't want any contact, which, you know, at that time I disagreed and thought, you know, oh, the ideal is co-parenting, working together, making decisions together and all that. He didn't want to. And, you know, I really came to, to realize that whatever it takes to end the conflict is, is what you do. And there's kind of that continuum I talk about in the book between parallel and co-parenting. So there may be some things that you want a firewall between you, but there may be other things that you do want to communicate about. And I think that respect, and a lot of times the respect has to do with trust, that it can be rebuilt. And that's a lot of the work that I would do with parents is how can we rebuild a minimum level of respect and trust? And the first way to do it is to is to keep agreements. Whatever agreement you make, keep your agreement because that starts to rebuild. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A light bulb just went off. That is one of the biggest frustrations that we have with my stepson's mom and that she does not follow through with what she'll say she does. Yeah. And so it's difficult to trust anything that she
2: says. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So, so I tell people don't agree to something just because you don't want to talk about it anymore or, you know, agree to get along or something that won't work. Don't, don't agree to something. If you think you can't hundred percent commit to it. Mm-hmm. And then if you keep your agreement, then you're rebuilding the yeah. trust. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, and thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing. Can you tell people where to find you? I will put the link to all of your articles in psychology today, so people can peruse those, but where can people find you?
2: So my website is drannbouscho.com and it's dr a n n dot o.com and there's a lot of stuff on there about nesting about divorce i've got some i've got a blog on there that i don't post as much as i do on psychology today but there's also a blog there and if people want to see excerpts of the book or whatever that's there too Great. Thank you so much. I really
1: appreciate it. Thank you Um, for having me. As always, be well
0: and stay radical. All right, ladies, the episode is over, but do you want a little more? Come find me on Instagram and join the community at Radical Stepmoms Podcast or schedule a one-on-one session and get that personalized support or become a Radical member and gain access to exclusive content like bonus episodes and merch. Radical Stepmoms is so much bigger than a podcast. Check out the details and the notes on this episode.